Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. With me, back for a second time, I didn't frighten him away for the first time, it's Darren. Darren, how are you, my friend? I'm doing amazing. Could Great. not scare me off if you tried. Oh, rubbish, rubbish. What have you been up to in our time apart? Because it's been a couple of episodes since we last spoken to you. Oh my God, it really has. Um, I remember the last episode we had, you actually inspired me to go start making Faye products for the, <gasps> the upcoming one. Yay! So I grabbed a team of people I worked with before, and that's coming out very shortly. Oh, amazing. So that, that's coming out on uh, DM's Guild then? Yeah, that's coming out <gasps> on DM's Guild, and along with, oh God, two new classes, a collection of magic items, a collection of new spells, a book of new dragons, a book of beholders, and two other projects I can't talk about yet. What? It's literally been like a month and you've already... Insane. But that's, that's so cool that you keep creating and stuff like that. So nice to be busy, I guess, at this time. <laughs> I definitely don't think it has anything to do with the fact that my job is forcing me back into the office, but there's nothing to do in the office right now. <laughs> there's nothing to do, so we're just doing other jobs. Enough about that small chit-chat and like plugging your stuff at the beginning of the episode. What are we talking about today, Darren? You brought us an interesting topic to discuss. Oh, we're going to talk about apocalypses, the most cheery and wonderful thing. <laughs> I think if anyone's played a D&D game for more than like, if you're like level 10 plus, you've probably experienced a near apocalypse event. So I figure it's something we can all relate to. Yes, interesting topic. I guess I hadn't really considered how often we do have like world ending events or that you know things are happening when you get to later levels i guess like you said when you're running a long-term campaign when you're getting higher and higher and higher suddenly it's like uh a tarask has appeared the yeah. world will be destroyed and it's only up to you guys to say it so it's all it's an interesting storyline which i hadn't considered maybe because i only play in one long-going campaign but actually most campaigns we have seen and i'm sure we're going to talk about quite a few of them on stream do end up having this event at the end, which is usually like, you have to do this, otherwise the world is ending. Yeah. And I do like that it's not always like, the world is ending and all life will be extinguished. It's like, the world as you know it is ending and something mm -hmm. new is coming that is like, not just not the status quo, but like an inversion of what you expect. Mm, I guess that's a really good distinction to put to it because I always think of world ending as like as, as is the whole world is ending and yeah. but you're right the world as you know it is ending so that could be almost like a Thanos moment where yeah. click of the fingers and half the population is gone that sort of thing where the world is still here and the person behind it is doing it for a better purpose in quotation marks but actually it's still a horrific thing so where do you want to start the apocalypse where would you start, I guess, when you approaching this in a game as a DM? Oh, as a DM. Or in general, even. Like, I guess for me, because I always see it happening. Because, I, again, I've yet to go to DMing such high levels where I would think about putting like a world-ending event or in or an apocalypse in. So how would you go about it, I guess? So I ran a, a long-term game with my friends. It was like the second campaign I ever ran. And very, very early on, three of their backstories all links to the same kind of like shadowy group of people who are otherworldly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to try create something for the late tier and like build it up over the whole campaign. So I went with kind of a fallen angels trying to undo creation. That was their apocalypse. So for, mm -hmm. this one was actually like a end of life as we know it. Like totally though, like like all life would be wiped out. Mm. They were trying to bring back a, a god of oblivion, so it would just 
when it reappeared, it would just erase existence everywhere it went. Wow. Um, so they had the high stakes of like, if we fail, no one else is showing up because no one else will be around. Mm-hmm. But it's so good to, because I feel like with an apocalypse, you have to have, you have to have like the ritual, like the final moment, you know, like, or moments if you want to spread them out over several things where the, the minions and the villains are trying to break seals or undo certain aspects or destroy certain items to bring about uh, whatever their apocalypse is, like breaking chains to release a monster. And those chains could be like metaphysical, like uh, this bloodline exists in the world. And as long as it exists, mm. this chain remains unbroken. So they're obsessed with wiping out a certain bloodline. Ooh, I like that. I feel like the build up to an apocalypse needs to be as much a part of it as the actual event, the actual final ritual. So you saying that with uh, obviously very kindly your players had similar backstories that's really cool to have that players already integral to this apocalypse would you say that it's better if you i guess sometimes it's very hard to know how long a campaign will go because obviously you could leave i guess breadcrumbs here and there about there's something bigger happening but until so you get a few sessions down the line and you and they realize this and but they might be like oh we we're done with a story now we want to move on to another game or another campaign so i guess my question to you then is um would you plan to put these seeds in from the beginning or is it just something like you could leave till like you said sort of level 10 ish and then put seeds in do you see what i mean like uh, would you start really yeah. early or halfway through i feel like if you're okay as a dm not finishing the story mm. then you should put the seeds as early as you want to because that's going to be way more interesting mm-hmm. um, but like games fall apart um i think out of my original group of five three of them are still there and two of them have dropped out and two, and two new people came in right so, like there has been a slight shift to the party but like i think early as a session five or six they met one of these like fallen angels but they were in disguise like they, they were a guise of a human mm. and they bodied up with the party so early because like they didn't even go looking for the party the party accidentally stumbled across them in the world and I was like, great, this person's going to become their best friend. And two and a half years later, I stabbed them in the back with that person. Yeah, we had something very similar happen to our campaign. It's that, that sort of thing where you have the the guide or the, the person that's like, oh, I need your help to do something. Yeah. And we we had a similar thing where we like break these seals and the world will be better. And only us to do it. We've, we've found countless adventurers that do it, all that sort of thing. We're like, oh, okay, we're helping the world. Turns out we were not helping the world. And the reveal of it... Like I was completely blindsided by it because I was like, oh God, is this the end of the campaign? Wow, we've saved the world. No, we brought about the end of it and we have book two to finish this off. Oh my God, you know? So yeah, that the guilt of that laid on me for quite a bit, even though obviously it's just the game. and that's But because we were so integral to being part of that ritual and that part of that process and having, like you said, that character who were like, it's our friend. It's our best friend. Yeah. Who isn't who they say they are and just used us as a means to an end. It's like, <gasps> I did the same thing to my players. They, they literally teamed up with the, with the seven of these uh, corrupted angels. One of them was, one of them was like possessing the body of one of the players' fathers. <gasps> it, it was like, that was the level I went to, to manipulate wow. them. And it was like a gateway opened and the, the bad guys were like, we need to get in there. We need to grab this relic and get it out. Mm-hmm. And But it's infested with with demons. So they opened the gateway and then they just created an illusion to make it look like it was infested with demons. And then one of the bad guys heroically was like, I'll hold them off and get the relic. Everyone stay out here and just like... Ooh. But like half the bad guys were fighting them and half of them were 
were like protecting them to, to make it look like a fight. So I basically faked a battle to make them waste Amazing. time. Because I think I needed a hundred hit points of one of the characters' blood for the ritual or something. And wow. plus the moment where the guy came back out with the relic, there was enough blood, so he just crushed it in his hands, and all the bad guys like powered up because that was sealing their powers. The the crushing hatred in my player's eyes was I'll never forget it. But also amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like two years of build-up is such a thing. When you're building up to this apocalypse and you like two years of work, just being quiet and possibly not telling anyone, possibly just telling your partner who's not in the game and saying, This is happening. Just yeah. you need to tell somebody. It's I think it's such a it's such a treat when it pays off, but the temptation just to tell everyone your secrets because you're just like, I think I'm really clever. <laughs> yeah, you, it is honestly like you're like, I need someone to tell. I need to tell someone that I'm that I'm doing something clever and evil. Like like a mad villain. That's why he has minions. He needs to tell the minions how clever he is. <laughs> My partner is in the campaign. Oh, there's a couple of like Facebook groups where it's like you know you can. You can t- DM us to tell people like what's going on in their campaign. But another one of my players is in all of the groups I'm in. <gasps> and he follows me on Twitter. So I'm like, I can't really vent anywhere. I love the idea of the sort of planning and sort of the rituals and all that sort of thing. Because I think you're right. You have to have a process and you have to involve your players. It's definitely something where if they're removed from it, but it's happening, that's one kind of apocalypse, I think. But it's that sort of idea of that something's in the background and playing with it. So for me, thinking of like climate change or something is happening, but the players have a chance to stop it or change it. But the cl- climate change or anything like that, which is the environmental, which is not necessarily related to an evildoer of some sorts. Maybe it just so happens that towards the end, like, you know, the, the waters are rising. What can you do about it? That's such a fascinating apocalypse. There's no villain there. It's like a mass of villains who are doing it or nature itself turning on you. That's- yeah. Very much like day after tomorrow, or even stuff like um, you can even go like proper midnight. Oh, uh, what's his name? M Night Shyamalan. There you go. But yeah, so like his that terrible film, The Happening, where it's oh, the trees Jesus. killing everything, could be quite cool, I guess. Unless you go again, have that reveal of it's the trees. You're like, oh rubbish. <laughs> oh okay, there's no one we can punch. We're gonna punch some trees, I guess. <laughs> What examples have you seen in, in terms of live stream and how how would you say they've done it right? Or how do you think you're like, that's really cool. I want to do that in my game for in terms of apocalypses. I think one of the great examples you can pull from, because I think probably a lot of your viewers have seen it, will be Critical Role. Mm-hmm. I think two apocalypses, one is the absolute classic, like Vecna, the dark god returns, literally ascends to godhood through rituals that they, they can't really prevent. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I think that was a, that was a great way of doing it because they couldn't stop him doing these things, not really. They needed the power to stop him after he had done them. So that was their focus, getting weapons, getting blessings, and getting things to steal him. So I think that's a really fun way of doing it. If you don't want to like keep interacting with the villain and his minions, mm-hmm. you just set them on different paths that meet at the end. Mm-hmm. Big final battle, big stage, great minions to face before the final battle. I feel like that was a... Like if you want to do the classic apocalypse villain that is like that is a blueprint for it mm-hmm. and it's one of the ones where it's like if your players lose and that happens in dnd dice are bad I, i've killed a party of people just because they kept rolling bad then the game's not over because now it's there's new heroes rising to fight them maybe you want to like wrap up the campaign with the level 20 big battle with all these new characters or you want to have your next world set in a place where this dark god rules mm. and now everyone in it is subject to his rule and you want to build from level one to 20 again 
you can do that. You're just doing it in a much darker world, you know? I was going to say, like, with that critical role, and again, spoilers for those people who haven't seen it, I do I do recommend that first campaign completely because not only do you start at a higher level in that campaign because they transferred uh, from Pathfinder to 5th edition and then streamed it from, I think, level, level 11 onwards. What's great about it is that they technically fight Vecna twice because they go in and have this like oh it'll be fine it'll be fine yeah. and then and then their first round they get sort of stunned or or, or hold person or whatever it was and none of them can save yeah and you see their faces go like that and they're like i can't move and like, i think only one of them manages to get saved and it's such a high save they're like oh god oh god and literally it takes a couple of rounds and they are almost like done for and they just have to run for it and i think giving them that option to like here's the big bad you go in now I think you need to run. Like, I think, like Matt was very good at like just like I'm just going to do it, and people people realizing like we need to get out of here, and that that knowing that in the event of apocalypse or, or a huge big bad like that, like Vecna again, again I I don't know too much about it other than like like you said ascending to godhood, he is bad. You know, he has two yeah. evil artifacts: the eye of Vecna, the hand of Vecna, which together makes it like very obvious that this guy is completely not not on the board, so to speak. Yeah. And I think just being able to support your players to realize that even that just demonstration of power and like, we need to get out of here. We need to rethink this plan. Cause I, I think yeah. they just went into going, yeah, it's totally fine. We're level whatever. And then realizing like, no, we have so much more to do. And I think it was like another 20 or 30 episodes going, like you said, going around, picking up legendary items, getting yeah. the blessings, all that sort of thing, which was an amazing arc in itself. Actually, I've been to say when you're talking about how they went in the first time and they, they got their asses kicked, um, Matt killed a player and disintegrated another one. And that I was, was it, yeah. I feel like he wasn't He wasn't like, I'm going to teach them, you know, they can't do this. I fully think he was going for the throat because when they were teleporting out, he tried to stop them. He tried to kill them. He tried to keep them there and finish them off. And I got to say, that's a great thing as a DM to do. Like to never, like, I'm like, I'm not fudging dice. I'm not like messing with the rolls. He's the big bad. You guys walked in here unprepared. I'm killing you. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's what you have to do. And maybe they all, maybe the campaign ended there, or maybe they would have to make new characters and finish off the story. Mm-hmm. Or one of them would get away and like try to resurrect them one by one. Whatever they did, like, I feel like, I feel like he made it really authentic by that. Like, I was like, oh, he's killing people, but he's probably going to let them go. When he went mm-hmm. for that final hit, I was like, this is, this is, there's no punches being pulled. This is great. I did forget that he did disintegrate one of them. And it was at a moment where we we're like, oh God. They have to get out and then they had to deal with that repercussion of that yeah. for the rest of the campaign. And obviously there's again no spoilers here. I like I think that first season of Critical Role is like 150 episodes. And I, I know people are like, I don't have time to watch four hours a week. Watch that first series, I think, from like episode 20 in, because you get the sudden feel of it and it's a great example of storytelling, but obviously it has to put that thing is that no one has to be Matt Mercer DMing. We were all great at DMing, but I think. That storyline of Vecna is such an interesting one. And Absolutely. and even then before that, um, maybe a, a lesser apocalypse, but like, so that the Vecna is obviously, when you're saying about the world completely going, obviously if they don't succeed, yeah. that's gone. But earlier on, and again, another spoiler for this, when they have all the dragons attack this yes. big castle, and it's, it's, they have like five or six different, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, it's uh, chromatic dragons, the evil dragons. Yeah. And so they have to go and fight each individual 
dragon, but like the whole world implodes. Like this whole kingdom is destroyed as they're there and they're having to run for their lives because there's five and six of these always different colored dragons coming for it. And it was having this the huge red dragon, I can't remember its name, unfortunately, going around giving this announcement saying, we are taking over, this is our time was such an incredible streaming moment but that's again an example of their whole world changing because like you said that now they're living in a world where all these dragons have just taken back control over this whole landscape and they have to be in hiding they have to go to survivor camps go recruit people and then go kill or deal with individual dragons including there's the green dragon which i can't remember off the top of my head who was who again was sort of a friend in disguise for a little bit or something and then eventually have to deal with it so yeah, I've forgotten about that now until I just how good that arc was. That the the chromatic the chroma conclave was that was it. Chroma conclave, oh yeah. God, that was, the, re- the reveal, the the battles, the reveal of that, where there was some sort of a big celebration in the uh, in the kingdom at the castle, and you had the king and all the family there, and then something happens, and just the castle ex- behind them explodes. Yeah, you knew going up to it, there was something not right. Like, like watching it, there was something alright, and it happened. Watching each of the players' faces see this happen, like they were crying in places. I was like, oh my god, this is yeah, yeah. that sort of thing where they like Matt clearly just flipped a switch and it yeah. happened, and they were running back to their fort, trying to defend the their their own their little castle that they had, and like we can't stay here. Everyone get out. It's oh, really cool that I really enjoyed that as a as a storytelling moment. It was such a good episode. And again, Matt never pulling the fucking punches when. They run to the castle and a dragon follows them and starts yep. like freezing people and freezes the bear. And, oh. and then it's only because one of the other dragons like tosses that one away. It's like, God, he really does, he punches them when they're down, but mm-hmm. always for like perfect cinematic storytelling moments. I guess we'll go on to the Critical Role season two. Oh, where... this apocalypse, I think, is yeah. genius. Yeah, so why don't, you des- why don't you describe this? I'm basically doing a positive summary of the other two, but this one I think is really interesting. So go ahead. So what's season two about then? Season two, big spoilers. So if you're going to watch season two, and I highly recommend you do because the production quality is the highest, I think, mm. uh, out there. Gorgeous. Absolutely like, gorgeous. The party starts with Talos and Jaffe playing a character called Molly Mock, who does not remember anything. He just woke up one day in a hole in the ground. Over time, he, he eventually dies in the, in the course of the campaign, in a very innocuous moment. He's just in a battle and he, he gets unlucky. It happens to the best of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he dies. And then they move on and a new character shows up. And this new character is like seeing a corruption spreading in the woods and having nightmarish visions. And then it turns out that Monimok is alive again, but he now is the previous version of himself, Lucian, AKA the Nonagon. They kind of, one of Molly Mox or Lucian's former followers kind of meets him in the course of the campaign and says that, oh, you're Lucian, the Nonagon. And he's like, doesn't remember any of that. But now Matt is piloting a previous character and it's so villainous. And there's this whole thing about a ritual to bring this otherworldly entity back into the real world. Mm. And if any John Carpenter fans, it feels like oh, the thing. It, yeah. I thought that too many eyes at one point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the whole, it's a whole city of flesh and stonework mixed into it. But there's a lot of like body horror, like mm. people going into the ground, becoming like a puddle of flesh and then reappearing elsewhere. And there's a whole thing of like, if this entity comes into the real world, it will spread and cover the whole world. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things where it's like the world's not over. 
but now it's a giant puddle of flesh. Yeah. And it's, it's all one person. It's very Cthulhu. You get yeah, you get something bigger and it is coming for this world. And yeah, that slowly creeping dread of this person bringing it back and making that connection and stuff. And yeah, you get the weird dreams. Yeah, there's so much body horror. I would Because I think there is at certain times they go, hey, by the way, there's a lot of horror in these episodes. Just yeah. FYI. But yeah, that idea, there's a moment where I think Matt describes like, you're looking at this person walking down the street, but you realize their feet aren't leaving the ground. And that for me, I was like, oh, that's horrible. You know, they're just a fleshy person like yeah. carrying on. I think what's interesting about that and cool about that is that they're technically not level 20 characters. They are like yeah. level 14, 15 at most, I think off the top of my head. And then maybe it was just me. Cause I, again, I've been list- I listened to it on and off during lockdown and then binged it all yeah. it seems to sort of we, they were like we need to stop this so they kind of in my head not rushed towards the end but they were like we need to stop this we need to stop this and there's yeah. lots of planning and then they got there and i was like man i wish i was level 20 for this because this sounds awful and there was certainly with molly mock the final battle various different versions like final forms which yeah. you know very final fantasy which is great and then they're like and we'll stop we're going to stop tonight and we're going to continue this battle next time you're like oh no they've used up all their spells that this is yeah. Oh, so it was it was again interesting to have such a, a world changing event happen, not necessarily you've got all the, the levels, you've got all the equipment or whatever early on because they chose to like we need to sort this out now. Yeah. No, uh, no legendary items, no gifts from the gods, just what they had and their plans, and that was it. Yeah. On the second form, it's absolutely fantastic. They're fighting him, and he's such an the mechanics of that monster are so interesting as you're watching. Mm-hmm. Then you go and it goes into its second form and just completely changes the game. And oh my God, some of the mechanics weren't even like directly harmful. There was one where it could bring a player right in front of the monster. That was Mm -hmm. all it did. But the reaction of the players being like, no, no, I stay back. I cast spells. I don't want to be up here. You do not want to be close. And yeah, because it so remind me of this so it was like you gained an eye somewhere on your body if you failed a saving throw and then it would when you made another saving throw it would minus how many eyes you had would minus your thing which is horrific if you're that sort of person who doesn't have necessarily great stats be like ah oh, wisdom saving throw oh that's a plus two no no it's a minus three because you've got yeah. three eyes on you you're like <gasps> yeah because it's that sort of way of slowly debuffing you almost like it's it's taking you down bit by bit just by being all these eyes everywhere because i remember two of the players had some eyes going into it from reading an evil book and i was like oh we can communicate telepathically we can see through illusions we get all these great bonuses and matt then he's like well this is the number of eyes you have so minus this number and just the table losing it because one of them had like three or four eyes it's like what happens when we reach nine and matt just smiled and i was like that's this is nightmarish <laughs> i believe fully if you get nine eyes, either suddenly that, that character switches alignment and now you're with the thing, or you just become flesh. You Ooh. just break down into flesh. John Carpenter's the thing style. Definitely, yeah. It gets to that. Yeah, it's, it's like almost like levels of exhaustion, isn't it? You just get to the yeah. point where you're just like, you can't go on. So yeah, that you just overcome something. There's just nothing you can do about it. There's, there's something delicious about that. I, I wouldn't have spoken to it about you, but there's something with... Have you seen Hexbloods? So the, the race in Hexbloods, the... So you are sort of born out of a pact, uh, whether it's through a hag or, or through something like this, you have some magic, witch magic in you. But at a point, the hag will come and collect, per se. And, oh. and it can be at any point, but the idea is that once you remake the pact with the hag, you become a hag. And there is a line in it saying, you become an NPC hag. 
as a result. So it's interesting because obviously there's that whole thing about consent and all that sort of thing. But I think it's one of those things where, again, you have to talk to your players about the backstory. But, but the idea that you could just, in battle, I think for this particular thing, instantly when it's the big bad, the apocalypse style event, you could just, just not be yourself anymore because you've taken on so much mental strain, damage, and you like hand over the character sheets. And yeah. I just like, I think as a player, I revel in that so much. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me as a player, but I just, I go, oh no, what can I do to help? Yeah. I, I, it's not, not so much like, oh no, poor me. I'm just like, oh no, I can't help my friends anymore. Shit. That, that, that's what it is for me. But I know not everyone has that same opinion of it, but there's, this stuff, there's definitely that's something about when at one point do you just hand over your character sheet? Just this Thursday. And I highly recommend other GMs out there. If you have a lich, if you have a necromancer, any of those like undead controlling people, Finger of death, change mm. one thing about that spell. Person hits zero, they instantly die or whatever, and they, they rise as a zombie at the start of their next turn, right? Great spell. Don't make them a zombie. Just make them the undead player character. Ooh. So I black, the bard just got healed by the druid. She's like getting up, uh, and this like necrotic angel thing blasts her with finger of death, and then they kill that thing the next turn. But then in the background, the bard gets up, her eyes glow green, and she just unleashes like fifth level synaptic static on the party. And it was one of the most heart-wrenching like battles because they were like, if we keep hitting her, her body will fall apart and we can't bring her back. But she's turning to dust from the wounds. Like she's not just like getting hit. Every wound is like just turning her body to ash. Mm. And eventually they held her down and did a ritual to bring her back. But like, it was such a, an intense moment of like putting down the cleric with spell. I mean, the druid runs over trying to grab her and then the barbarian gets up. It was just, it was amazing. And again, that's another example of your world changing, your friends turning on you at a moment where you you have to do something that you might not be able to take back. And yeah. it's, it's so interesting, actually, now that you think about it, like it, the apocalypses don't have to be, you said the end of the world, the end of the campaign. It could literally be just changing your whole life. Yeah, your friend goes missing and that yeah. just it changes everything about you, how you live, how you negotiate and stuff. Like, how does that affect you and how does that affect the party? It's such a, an interesting storyline. And and in those heats of the moments, whether you're running away from the big bad or you're going to um, some sort of cosmic war with beings beyond your own knowledge, and then you're having this moment, you're like, oh, not right now. Ah, you know, you're like, I just, yeah, it's just something delicious about role-playing those moments and just exploring those feelings, I guess. It's just yeah, absolutely. I have one more type of apocalypse Go for on, it. on what you're talking about yeah. the almost like personal level apocalypse mm -hmm. i don't know if you watched dimension 20 at all i think if you're a dm whatever campaign you're running finish that before you watch dimension 20 because it will absolutely influence the theme so like level one to 14 we had like a critical role level of like good humor but mostly like lord of the rings style fantasy mm -hmm. uh we had level 17 i started watching roll 20 and now we are like closer to monty python than anything <laughs> even though it's the highest level because yeah. dimension 20 is so heartfelt at times like i cried laughing at it multiple times during an episode it's mm -hmm. so funny and one of the series they do is fantasy high where they're all high schoolers and that has a kind of a classic apocalypse of i think dark gods dark gods or something to that like it's been a while Mm -hmm. But they have a second series called The Unsleeping City about a bunch of New Yorkers. And both seasons of this, the apocalypse isn't for the world, it's for New York. Ooh. And they all care so deeply about the city. So the first one is like some vampire wants to absorb the essence of, of the American dream. Like, okay. it's such a unique 
And it's like, if he does this, people won't be able to hope or dream in New York anymore. That kind of thing. Wow. And that doesn't affect the world. That just affects New York. New York. And they all care so much. And you honestly really feel it in that final battle, how important it is not to lose this. Wow. And then the second one, it's an entity called Null that wants to just erase the history of New York from the world. It wants to just make it so that New York never happened. And maybe it wants to do it to more cities going down. Maybe it wants to do it to the whole world. But all that matters to them is that it's New York. And mm. there's all these relics of New York that they need to get. All these like memorable moments through history. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, oh, we don't want a legendary god weapon. We want like this guy's wooden leg, you know, from like, he's like a famous New Yorker. Things like that. Yeah. And I have to say, like, it has really changed. But I was like, oh, you know, the party needs to explore the entire world. I played Dragon Heist, I watched The Unsleeping City, and now a campaign can be so fulfilling in one city, as long as you can, like, flesh it out either through a good map, the way Dragon Heist has so many resources oh, yes. for you to use and so, so much to explore, mm -hmm. or by a real-world city like New York, where you, the players will be intimately familiar. Mm -hmm. And now I just want to run that intimate city setting, because mm -hmm. it's so, so it's, it seems to have mattered so much. Almost like the Chroma Conclave, their city was destroyed. Mm -hmm. And yes, other cities that they cared about, but that first city that got destroyed and then fighting for that city, that's just such like a, a personal level of apocalypse. Like you can't just move on to a new city. This matters so much to you on this localized level. That's really interesting actually thinking about it. Setting it in a fantasy version of like a real hometown that you guys are in or anything like that, I think does add something to it. Like when you destroy a, a landmark that you all know, it's like you have that, that sort of tugging at the heartstrings. And I do think... There's something like going back to what you say about the character backstories, they sort of built into that apocalypse idea you had at the beginning. I always say when people are making backstories to have a named character that you you have a good relationship or have a relationship with, just yeah. for the DM just to pluck that heartstring in some way, using them in an apocalypse type situation, like you want to check on them. Like certainly when we in our long running campaign, we were like, we need to check all the friends we've made along the way to make sure they're okay. And we couldn't yeah. contact them. And yeah, we saved a couple of them. Some of them are still missing and all that sort of thing. And we're like, but we need to save them all. And again, it's that sort of thing you're saying, we're naming them. And you can see in our DM, it's like, God, you remember so many of them. Fuck. Can't yeah. have them all for the big fight. But it's again, it's actually just getting them out of there because we've made those connections. When you mentioned um, like named characters in the background, I think with my regular group of players, I have two groups, one that has been playing for years. Some of them run their own games. They're like mm -hmm. incredibly experienced. No spells off air. Um, and I have another very new group, so I don't ask this of them. But with a solid group that you know, that you know, know, they know the rules, they made a bunch of characters, I actually make a requirement now that you must have two named characters that you have a connection to. Ooh. And you must identify your like situation with your family and how many of them there are separate to that. So like mm. one player was like, I have my mom, my dad, and I have five older brothers and I'm the youngest. And I was Perfect. like, and he, he was a wizard or he was an artificer. And he was like, they're all wizards. I'm an artificer. It's a whole thing. So I was like, great, now I have the jock wizard brother. I have like the super charismatic brother. And like I made all these other brothers. And initially it was to the point of like, like he didn't get on well with his brothers. And he only got on kind of well with the one just above him, who was also kind of like the runt as well. Mm -hmm. um, and over time, he became closer to the older ones through role playing with them. Like the jockish one started protecting him during a fight. And he was like, oh, my brother really cares about me. Another one gave up something important for him. One of them started like dating another member of the party. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. So it was so good. And then the one that he was close to turned evil. 
<gasps> and it was such an inversion. He was like, the only one I had is gone, but now I have a relationship with the three I didn't. And now I'm like, like that was my, one of my favorite moments in the whole campaign. Not the big bads, not the items, not the fights. Him going from not being close to being close to his brothers. And now I'm like, I need your family details and I need two other NPCs. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if I really, if we're going for a long campaign, I'd probably be like, who's someone you didn't get on well with? And I yeah. probably won't even use them. I just want to no. know, want to know what kind of person is that your character's enemy. I love that. And yeah, it doesn't have to be descriptive either. As soon as you said mum, dad, and five brothers, and I'm the youngest, it's like, there's that power dynamic. Yeah. You're the yeah. youngest. And again, it, you might be super positive, but you, as youngest players, or you know, anywhere in that sort of pecking order, you're going to feel something. Yeah. And so you, you can easily play on that. He was the youngest and the least regarded, but he could have been the youngest and the baby who they all cared about and protected. Exactly. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, it's terrible. You could give me like your enemy in the backstory and I could be like, they actually changed their life and now they're like totally like, he was a hunter, but then you told him off and had a fight with them and now he protects animals in the wild. You could do loads of positive things. I think people who make every backstory element negative, it's so tiring because then you don't want to give the details. Mm -hmm. But like, you make them positive and fun. It's so good. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head which RPG system it is, so I feel so bad about this. But they have a game where you name NPCs, and the and if you say okay, you, you need to at least name one. If you name two or three, you get an extra benefit um, oh. of some way. If it's a positive relationship, I believe. So, so again, it's that idea of like you adding more to the backstory, you get a little bit extra. There's nothing like rule break or anything like that, but it's like you get an extra point here, an extra point there, or some sort. Yeah. I can't remember which RPG system it is though that does that. I'm sure I'll I'll find it up later. But yeah, I like that idea. Like, if you can't think of any, that's totally fine. You're not going to be punished for it. But if you can think of something just to help yeah. collaborate and stuff, you get an extra point and stuff, and just be able to make that storytelling a little bit more rich. <laughs> If you were to convert that to fifth edition, you could be like something simple like an extra language, a skill, or a tool. Because I gotta say, in the heat of battle, there's no extra skill, tool, or language that's gonna change the course. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, you know, stealth is pretty powerful. It is. And if you're a rogue, I'm sure hiding the bonus action is very useful. Mm-hmm. But if you're a barbarian and you've used your action to hide in battle, I feel like you've lost something there. So I feel like any skill, any language, any tool. They would be great. If you give me three things from your backstory, sure, pick an extra one. Yeah. I also think if someone's new and they're like, I had a bunch of players with full backstories, loads of detailed characters, and a new player joined and he didn't know anyone except me. Mm-hmm. And he gave me Sir Richard Flair, like a pun on an old wrestler's name. And that was it. And he was a paladin. And he was like, I have no backstory. And I was like, buddy, that's totally fine. We play 12 sessions. He goes, here's two A4 pages. Uh, on my backstory and here's the explanation on why my fucking name was so stupid because his character is incredibly charismatic but dumb as a brick so he was like he had to give a fake name so he just gave this random fake name and he was so charming people believed him but his actual name was like Siegfried Isander and I was like that is such a metal name that's so cool I love that so if someone's not comfortable give them a few sessions and then then have them write a backstory absolutely yeah like uh, yeah I always think like the first early brings early sessions sorry you give them that chance and they can change it around and stuff like that but yeah I, i'm always a big fan of the sort of like give us a paragraph a couple of names some bullet points of like a philosophy like i know we always have like bonds ideals personality flaw all that sort of thing but just to get it for that we've wandered so far from apocalypse I, I guess apocalypses do happen to all of us you know on sort of an international bigger level but then yeah. they affect us so sort of emotionally and on an individual level and other people around us, I think. So yeah. I do, it's, it's just an interesting conversation. That, that is the reality though, because like if the sun goes out, 
and you know the world's going to freeze and die. You don't care about the world to the human race. You care about the people around you. Exactly. If there's an apocalypse, all that matters is your little part of the world. So. Yeah, exactly. It's our, oh, it's very much like, but what about the Shire from Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It's like, we need to save the Shire by yeah. saving the rest of the world. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, Darren, we have come <gasps> to the end. I know, we've chatted God. so much about this, but it's absolutely fascinating. And I completely agree. All those stuff we've mentioned, so obviously Critical Role, Dimension 20. It's also something is always recommending other content which you do not have time to listen to or yeah. watch. But highly recommend just having a couple of episodes. I'm sure there'll be Wikipedia pages which are booked up for here's this art, here's that art. So do yeah. check them out. There's something delicious about those sort of uh, those apocalypse style ends to games, but I guess they could happen in the middle and you're like, well, how do you deal with the fallout from it? And can you reverse it and all that sort of yeah. thing? So have a listen to those and just check them out. But Darren, thank you so much. Where can we find you? What are you up to? Let's give, give the whole spiel as we on our way out. Sure thing. Well, I'm, I'm Darren. You can find me at uh, Darken Creations on Twitter. And the big thing I'm doing right now is if you like apocalypses, that's probably why you're here. Um, <laughs> I have a new game coming out. It is set in a world where you have your classic fantasy world that rose to the heights of technology. You know, firearms, vehicles started being created. Something terrible happens and the world falls to ruin. And you get to live 200 years after that ruination, uh, where some parts of the world are like fallout level apocalyptic landscapes and the lucky few pockets of the world where things are still kind of okay cities still have running electricity and things like that so you could have diverse games set in like near modern cities or desolate landscapes there's some great survival elements um uh, some lightweight rules for people who don't like managing those kind of things mm-hmm. um and a new unique system where you build a character through four choices instead of it just being your class and subclass you know your species is important you you choose a character's profession and then you choose your evolution, like vampire, lichen, corrupted by demons is one of them, or like blessed by uh, celestials, things like that. We're doing like a live play test on Twitch on my friend's channel. And it Exciting. has been so much fun to watch them like alive on thing be like, hey, my evolution lets me do this and my profession lets me do this. Can I combine them? And I was like, absolutely. And they unleash this devastating combo or someone has a racial ability and they pair it up with like something from their uh, profession. And they end up being one of the best healers that can dash around the battlefield, picking mm-hmm. people back up. And it's been so fun to see. So yeah, if you like Apocalypses and you want to try a new game, the rules, um, you know, D20 style. So if you played 5th edition, like, like my players have, uh, you can roll into this pretty easy with only some nice. few minor little changes. Fab, fantastic. And it's weird, we didn't even talk about having Apocalypses happening before the game. So that idea that you're Ooh. playing... In, and you just that's that as well so like again like you said like fallout all that sort of thing that could be another episode in itself but i just i just realized we're like we're talking about all the apocalypse happening in the game what if it's already happened and you're living in the aftermath of it like i guess like dark sun i guess oh well. my god dark sun or like my own little game fallen worlds one of the big goals that you could have is to close this gateway in the middle of the the continent and if you did the world could heal over the course of a few hundred years well, there you go. Having a slow resolution to things that like you've done yeah. it, but you don't see, maybe you don't see the benefits of it in your lifetime. Oh, fascinating stuff. But yeah, thank you so much, Darren. We'll guess we'll, we'll never, we'll never know our chat on that, but never mind. Um, but I will just end off by saying my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. As always, it is going very, very well. I'm also doing some in-person improv, which anyone listening to this probably will not be able to come and see, but that's okay. Uh, it's very exciting on that front. 
Finally, we do have an offer code for DM's Book Club. That is uh, 10% off at Third Space Gaming in Burnley. Uh, you can type in the offer code DMBC. I have to do the hand signal. Well, so do it just like DMBC, uh, which only Darren can see. No one else can see it, so it's fine. Um, I appreciate that, though. Thank you. You know, I've got to be, got to be, always be tapping, I guess. Anyway, uh, you can put in the offer code DMBC into checkout to get 10% off your first purchase at third space gaming and that could be on anything that could be on could be on rpg books obviously we've got fizz bands coming out soon you've got Ooh. wild beyond the witch lights or terrain or dice anything like that so it'll be very very exciting so with all that out of the way thank you so much for listening darren thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about all world ending things and no doubt there'll be another episode after this which you can listen to on your various podcasting platforms so until then thank you very much and we'll see you next time bye Bye, everybody.